from the darkest corners of our world, past the deep shadows of imagination, into the very heart of human fear. I'm Nathan Bartlebaugh. And I'm Seth Dombach. And this is Casting the Bones. Casting the Bones. Good evening, everyone. Welcome back to Casting the Bones. I'm your host, Nathan Bartleball, coming to you from Baltimore, Maryland. And I'm your co-host, Seth Dombach, coming from Carlisle, Pennsylvania. This is really sort of our first episode, Seth, in a sense of what the regular show is going to look like. Uh, for anyone who listened, we did have our first episode up about a month ago, and it was an opportunity to sort of give the, the backstory, if you will, on what this podcast is and, and why we wanted to do it. Uh, this is a podcast that's dedicated to horror and the supernatural, the paranormal, uh, fiction and folk tales, and depending on your mileage, perhaps, uh, you know, fact. And <laughs> I think it's it's an interesting experiment because I think we come to this as horror fans and who really enjoy fiction, who enjoy books, movies, uh, podcasts things of that nature at the same time we're really interested in in those paranormal stories those urban legends things that are sometimes presented as true and real i think that i come to this a little bit as a skeptic uh not a little bit i come to this as a skeptic who kind of wants who who is fascinated by these ideas who would love for for some of these things to be real although i am I'm very uh, dubious when it comes to that. But I think that what's fascinating about horror is kind of what it captures. Uh, it kind of captures the dark side of our imagination and a kind of dark side of our our psyche and our culture that's interesting. Yeah. Uh, interesting in a way that still, there's still a vitality and a life to it, but it's, it's not the picture that, you, that everybody wants you to see all the time. Yeah. And it's one of those things too that it's it's interesting that it's still spanned through so many generations. Is these are not all just new things. Every generation's had their own like creature that has been important to them, and, and some of them have still been passed down through generation after generation. We're still talking about these things. We're still interested in these things. There's still people saying that they believe or have seen these things even up until uh, this week when we have a new report that we'll talk about in a little bit. Um, but it's. This, this is really kind of what we're going to be getting into for the most part, these kind of topics, the, the stuff that really interests us, and especially as we get older. You know, it's we've we've lived enough. We've seen enough at this point that we do want to come to it from, you know, maybe a different perspective, get into some of those lores that we're not so familiar with, learn, you know, about the different cultures and some of the things that they've grown up with, these kind of tales, uh, and just get get into this and, and talk to people and hopefully get some interviews, do some reviews, and we'd like to hear from you guys as well, too. If you have any stories that you'd like to share with us, uh, we'll leave our email address that you can reach us at at the end of the show, um, but we'd love to feature some of those stories, maybe even have you on if you'd want to speak with us about some of the experiences that you've had. Yeah, and so... That's essentially that's will be the structure of the show. We're going to bring you reviews. We're going to bring you 
discussions and, and topics. We'll have a lot of topics. We do want to bring people on to the show. We invite guests. We want to discuss people's experiences. We want to discuss stories. We're also going to have an element of the podcast where we are reading fiction. Uh, a lot of that probably in the beginning is going to be classic horror fiction, but we're looking for independent authors and really give a wide breath to what it means uh, just what it means to be a horror fan. And again, we don't really draw the line on saying this is fiction and this is not. Uh, we will bring you lots of different things. The idea is to have a kind of creepy, fun time listening to uh, listening to the podcast. I almost said listening to the radio because that was sort of my experience <laughs> growing up. And that's really going to be the gist of tonight's, uh, a large part of tonight's episode. There's going to be two pieces to this. Uh, one of them is going to be discussing someone who, who just passed, who was pretty influential, I think, both to myself and, and Seth to you, uh, was radio host Art Bell. So we're going to, a lot of the podcast tonight is going to be dedicated to talking uh, about him and specifically about his radio show, Coast to Coast, which was very heavily centered on the paranormal, the strange, the unusual. I had had the distinction of running in the evening uh, in those those hours, those midnight hours, all the way through into the morning, you know, Art Bell would start with good evening and end with good morning. Yeah. And uh, he was, it was a fascinating guy and he really ran a fascinating show and it was, I can't think of anything else that was really like it. No. So that's, yeah, that's going to be a large part of what we talk about. The other thing we're going to bring you is a review of a brand new movie that it's opening this weekend. It's kind of it's been rolling out in limited release. It opened in L.A. and New York about a week ago, and it's uh, it's a horror picture. It's a it's also kind of a science fiction movie as well, and it spans genres, which is nice. It's called The Endless. It's a new movie from Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead, uh, and it's a it's a very interesting movie. It touches on a lot of what I find to be the really interesting aspects of of the genre of horror and of science fiction and just a really neat, really compelling movie. It's opening in Baltimore, uh, down my way here. It's opening at the Parkway theater and it's also, uh, I think it's opening in DC as well. And so you can see it here. I think Seth, it opens in PA. I am probably nowhere near you. (laughs) (laughs) It opens in, it opens in PA, uh, next weekend, I believe. So it's rolling out. It's a kind of movie that I think really, uh, Deserve support because yeah. it's an indie, independent feature. So we talked about the little bit. Another movie to put on radar. Unfortunately, I haven't seen yet, but it's probably right up there, the alley of of, of this podcast. Is a movie called Ghost Stories, British film, and it's it's rolling out in theaters in a limited capacity, not unlike The Endless, but uh, unlike The Endless. You will be able to get it on VOD platforms. I'm uh, picking up and, and, and watching it. Usually, these kinds of movies you can rent them for s- somewhere around six ninety nine, maybe seven ninety nine yeah. for HD. Uh, this is uh, Jeremy Dyson and Andy Nyman are the directors for this, and it's it's uh, an anthology series, which is kind of cool. There's three individual ghost stories packaged around a a sort of wraparound that involves a character who's sort of looking into a, a, a skeptic who's looking into three cases of the paranormal and uh, Martin Freeman is probably the face you're going to recognize the most if you're if you're watching the trailer but it looks like a good creepy throwback to sort of like uh, 
I think of some of the amicus portmanteau movies that they used to do in Britain, oh, yeah. and also um, a really popular. Is, I still really love uh, the Ghost Stories for Christmas. A lot of them were based off of um, uh, particularly M.R. James stories, antiquarian ghost stories, and some. Some I know they did Charles Dickens' The Signal Man. So this has that creepy look to it, with a little bit of weird David Lynchy surrealism. If I'm going off the trailer, so it looks like it looks like a compelling and intriguing movie. And particularly for anybody who is into the ghosts and the paranormal, it looks like it's trying to be a a serious but spooky look at that. Mm-hmm. I think it's probably going to be much better than the Winchester movie. Yeah, that was recently released with with Helen Mirren. Which I think also hits. It was in theaters, but it's hitting on demand as well this weekend. But so that's ghost stories. You can check that out. So before we get started talking about art, I and that art being Art Bell, I do want to discuss uh, two little quick news pieces that popped up here. And when I say news pieces, if you haven't seen these, uh, you know, don't you wish things like this were in your news feed more often (laughs) than uh, whatever the latest Russia scandal (laughs) is or, you know, uh, this particular one. And that's funny because you were, Seth, you were just trying to tell me about something important that was happening in the news. And I'm like, I don't know if it doesn't involve a monster running around (laughs) a small town in Argentina. I just don't care about it, really. And uh, so... It's fun. I always have a fun time looking through the the headlines that are related to, you know, yeah. uh, the paranormal, cryptozoological. I, I feel like those people have a whole different news feed than we do. Like yeah. their day is always filled with wonder um, and probably <laughs> disappointment. But and the, tinfoil. Wouldn't it be great if I was really concerned about where Bigfoot was right now? Right. And uh, and that's not to knock him. You know, I this uh, this first this first bit of news, if you want to call it that, is uh, and, and you know I'm getting this from the Express, the Daily Express, so it is 100 percent true. <laughs> uh, I just have, you know, I, I was caught by the tagline that says "monstrous seven foot creature pictured after a murderous rampage," so directly after a murderous rampage in Tatares, Argentina. People in Argentina saw this creature. The townsfolk saw this thing stalking through the streets. This is after it had apparently mauled two dogs to death. So it's killed a pit bull and a German shepherd dog. And supposedly this horrifying footage. This is not footage. This is a single snapshot, quote-unquote, picture. Uh, they're claiming that this the resident shot this candid picture of the monster. I really, I'll put the picture out here, a link, so you guys can check it out. Uh, it it shows a nighttime, you know, there's a nighttime photo here. The creature is walking along a, a empty dirt road, you know, right up, like almost directly flush with the side of a of a white building. It's it's Professor Lupin from <laughs> Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. It is quite literally, as far as I can tell. Uh, it looks like someone has photoshopped the werewolf <laughs> from the Harry Potter film I, into this picture. Uh, I think some of the problems with the shot are the light is kind of shining at an angle. The creature is, again, against a white wall, and its only its only shadow cast is the little puddle around its feet. There's no shadow against the back wall. And the way the light is hitting this particular shot, the, this thing would, you know 
should look like uh, 50 feet tall on the back of that wall there. Plus, plus the picture looks like it was taken with a viewfinder. <laughs> that's that's true. I we discussed this fact. Here's the thing about monster photos and creepy pictures. I would love to believe, uh, you know, it's a creepy thing to say, I guess, that something's running around mauling dogs in Argentina. But but no footage, no footage. I mean, we have footage of policemen bullying children with skateboards, but we don't have footage of the. You know, what I first suspected was a chupacabra walking <laughs> down the, the, the street here. So that's the other thing. So we've got what looks like a werewolf, a very specific werewolf, because that Wayne Barlow werewolf that was designed for the Harry Potter movie doesn't really look like any other werewolf I've ever seen. No, my uh, Which is either. why I liked it so much. I thought he was, he was kind of cool. I think it was the same summer we had that, like, steroided out wolf man on top of the carriage in the Van Helsing movie. Oh, yes. So I much prefer this sort of, like starved looking creepy spindly legged monster uh but again pretty obvious knowing where it came from but no one seems to be able to identify exactly what it is even accurately even even the hoax can't be identified correctly in this article (laughs) i think one of the problems is the article seems to be mostly relying on the expertise of youtubers which i find terrifying yes so I mean, I Ted Koppel and if they were if they're good enough, they were good enough to decide an election. They're good enough to uh, identify <laughs> monsters. Uh, so you know, I, I you know for a while I did some journalism. The to write, I don't think I would have ever started a sentence that says "Grizzly Guy Forty commented," and which is I saw one of these things in Virginia in two thousand five. I was crossing a bridge. Of course, it was. I was and, drinking uh, all night, but... Yeah, yeah. Someone identifies... I'm thinking Chupacabra. The minute I see this thing in here, Argentina, I'm thinking this is a Chupacabra, the goat sucker. Even though... I, the whole reason I'm really bringing this up is that someone brings up one of my favorite... Uh, favorite's a strong word. I know it's one <laughs> of your favorites. Uh, but one of the most uh, underrated, or maybe it's like the... <laughs> The red-headed stepchild of monsters. Which yeah. Is the uh, it, it's, it's a Filipino monster, really. It's not a. Um, it's not an Argentinian monster. Do you want to talk about this? Because somebody in the comments identifies this, and then uh, this article decides, "Hey, you know what? Yeah, let's talk about this." <laughs> yeah. So this creature is called the Oswang. Uh, so and like uh, Nathan had said, this is like a originated from the philippines there's it's mostly known in the philippines uh it's also known as a tick tick a, a walk walk a sock sock and a cling cling so it's got many so different it's names basically like my four-year-old daughter named it so it's oswang here i'm sure in in virginia where it was identifying the bridge it's an asswang yeah but uh <laughs> but it's, it's it's kind of a it's like an amalgamation of different lores like it's part like vampire uh, it also it like feeds on on newborns and things like that um <clears throat> it, there's parts of it, it some people refer to it more as a witch that kind of can detach its body and kind of fly around with like its entrails hanging out um but this is one of those things that's very popular uh in kind of some of the religious communities in the philippines um so just kind of like it, it is in a way similar to a chupacabra in that kind of regard but this is something that's a little bit more i'd say like malevolent from it so I, you know i kind of took umbrage at them calling it at oswang when i saw the picture of it i was like no, that, that's that's a chupacabra let's be clear the person who identifies an oswang i believe was somebody in a youtube comment section 
Uh, I'm disappointed that the level, you know, we're not even up to tabloid levels here. No. We need need to work a little harder with your monsters. And this is not an Oswang. Uh, what I we should do is just make a fake picture and get a bunch of people on YouTube to comment on it. <laughs> that qualifies now as news. That's how we're going to get the podcast out there. Yeah, right, right, exactly. A hodag. Someone needs to bring the hodag back. Which, again, throw a throw a spiky pelt on your dog. Right. It's a little more convincing than this. There's some effort. You had to make the pelt. <laughs> I'm going to get my kids involved in this. Why not? It's a great weekend activity. It really is. <laughs> Come on, kids, we're going to the woods. What are we doing? We're making a hoax. <laughs> Get my Polaroid. Dust it off. Idea. Yeah. Why not? Actually, you might have given... I think you just gave me my weekend plans. Um, <laughs> I can just read the headlines now. Local man in Bigfoot costume is shot to death. Well, that's the thing, right? So yeah. that's the that's the other thing. Every time someone says they found Bigfoot, the last time, the guys say that they got him. We've got the body. We'll show it to you shortly. If I had a Bigfoot, I'll be honest, and I'm, I'm a very nonviolent person. If I if I had a if found a dead Bigfoot, I'd be wearing that suit, <laughs> like down to the local, you know, to the <laughs> drugstore, to the route to, to eat. I'd be sitting in Outback wearing my stinking maggoty Bigfoot <laughs> belt. People would know I had it. There would be no question about it. <laughs> And for the record, I actually bear no ill will to big feet or Sasquatches. <laughs> I I uh, do not wish to harm any of them, and I do not think I would. I would hope I would not desecrate their bodies. But yeah. who, knows? <laughs> who knows? So let's talk about Art Bell, and let's talk about Coast to Coast because I think that the whole reason I have any interest in doing something like what we're doing right now, uh, that I have any interest in. The supernatural and the paranormal. It's not not the only reason, but one of the things that really made it something that I I enjoyed and wanted to explore more of, particularly again from that skeptic where you're the person who there's a piece inside of you that pushes back at the same time that you're intrigued, you know. Yeah. It sort of says, Why am I wasting my time with this? you know? Uh, but I was okay processing this when it's fantasy or fiction, but someone wants me to believe this now, you know, there's someone who's who's begging, uh, who wants to be believed, who wants to believe. And it's hard for me, it was hard for me even as a kid to watch a lot of those, you know, in the 80s you'd have. I love things like In Search Of and things like that where Lenny oh, yeah. and Moy would be talking. But, you know, the 80s also produced a lot of these, like, uh, UFO survivor kind of, you know, people right. who survived uh, alien probings. And you would always have them in that same, like, blue room with the lights down. <laughs> right. And they would sound like the teacher from Peanuts, you know. Yeah. And then, then the greys. It was too incredible for me as a kid to even, like, really take it seriously. Oh, yeah. But Bell was kind of a different – he wasn't different in the sense that that's exactly what he did. But there was something different about his program. Yeah, it's, it's it was definitely something different. Like, uh, and I, I think you're completely right. Whether I knew it or not at the time, this had a huge impact on me. Just in the fact that here was some kind of venue where people who were into stuff like me 
or, you know, just believed in off-the-wall crazy things had a, a place where they could go to call in and have a legitimate conversation with somebody about it. It's never, it was never about, oh, I'm just going to laugh in these people's faces. It's like, no, I'm, you know, I'm going to take them seriously. I may not personally believe what they're saying, but, you know, I'm going to give them a platform that they can talk about their experience without, like, judging them because of it. And um, this show, it's, I, I believe it started back in 1988. I came to it probably in the late 90s when I started listening to it. Uh, I actually don't even remember how I found the show uh, other than once I started driving I would be out really late at night driving around kind of the back country roads and uh, flipping through the AM station and I just kind of landed on uh, one of the talk radio stations you know and typically the show would start around 1 a.m and you know you just kind of hear this in like this kind of weird intro music and then you get this kind of booming really good radio voice of art bell came through and you know he's just he this guy was so charismatic in the way that he talked to people there's been other hosts on the show since he left it um back in like the uh mid 2000s but this guy in particular there's just something about the way that he conducted his interviews the way he spoke with people um the topics that he brought up the the philosophy that he went over there was just something that's so interesting about the way that he had this radio show uh he he did it out of his home in a place called parump uh nevada so and he's always you know kind of started off the show saying coming to you live from the middle of the desert you know i always pictured art as living in some kind of underground bunker where he's taking these calls in the middle of the night um but there's something so much uh, the show itself if you don't if you never listen to coast to coast am uh it's kind of like a they have interviews they ha- it, they have a lot of like call in lines that will people people will call in where they can pretty much talk about whatever you know they've experienced or what they've seen in their lives uh and then art would just you know kind of have these long discussions with these different people and like nathan said it's you know this is something that started off really you know late at night and ended up when the sun's just about to start coming up and i I can remember many many nights of just laying in bed or or out for a drive just listening to art bell and uh my favorite was they had a a line called the wild card line where you could pretty much call in and talk about whatever you wanted even if it was kind of off topic of the show and some of the some of the almost nothing that was off topic though no (laughs) but but with art with art himself um I kind of always suspected that he didn't really take all of it too seriously. I kind of feel like George Norrie, on the other hand, who was a later host of Coast to Coast, was kind of willing to believe anything anybody said. But Art himself, he kind of felt more like a showman. He was kind of like the P.T. Barnum of uh, of radio, just because he'd bring all these strange things together and kind of and find a way to make it entertaining for hours and hours every single night. Um uh, Nathan, can you remember when you first uh, heard about Coast to Coast or how you found it? It was probably similar to you. Like, the thing is, my my, my, my most specific memories of the show are from, a, from around, like, 93 on, 93 to about 97. Well, 93, 97 would be when I really remember, like, sort of latching onto it and listening to it kind of on a regular basis, like, basically on the radio in my house, you know, in my room on this little kind of like, uh, probably almost like a boom box kind of deal, you know, yeah. with a broken kind of antenna. 
and uh, not always picking up. And it was on the AM band, like, and it would you would you could you could get it in just about I want to say like every night. Yeah. Uh, and it ran. It it really did. It was like a nightly marathon of like about five hours of time, and this w- five hours not filled with music. I mean, it was. Bell's voice was like compelling. You would hear this voice and it kind of would just draw you in. Um, kind of, you know, we think of a lot of the voices, radio personalities and even TV personalities with these really expressive voices. I mean, of course, everyone knows uh, if you hear Casey Kasem on the radio or Wolfman Jack. And like yeah. Bell had a voice distinctive like those, but almost like he could have been the movie trailer guy. Yeah. You know, in a world. In a world where I will believe anything. Uh, <laughs> in a world where we will have anyone call in. You mentioned kind of like, I think he really was a showman. Uh, P.T. Barnum, but he, with P.T. Barnum, there's also this feeling of kind of exploitation. Yeah. And I think Bell's gift, whether whether that's ultimately what was happening or not, Bell never, and I think that's why it suited him to play the role of of, of the believer. Yeah. I think that's the role he wanted to have. I think he wanted to believe. I think he is his belief. Uh, he would argue with you about the existence of God and of Jesus and next minute ghosts and time travelers. Yeah. There really wasn't anything out like in our, in his mind. It all was real, or at least it was presented that way. You know. Yeah. And uh, and so if there was a skeptic nature to him. You know, repeatedly, he was able to sit it aside. And I, I appreciate that. I I will say, I will agree with you, there's no way he believed everything. Right. Because some of this stuff, some of this stuff was the enjoyable thing about hearing it. Had to almost willingly be a participant in what he, what uh, Bell or his co-host called theater of the mind. It's really what it was. Like, in order to keep listening, you had yeah. to sit there and 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 step into this world where this could be true. And that's what was tantalizing about it. There was no, it kind of in, in their sincerity and their, the, the people who were calling in their own sincerity and Bell's sort of earnestness to want to like, you know, he would say, I believe you, enough people see this, this kind of thing. that can't be wrong. Right. And he said, I don't care if anyone else doesn't believe me. And he, I think he was legitimately, honest in that he had skeptics and atheists and and scientists and on a show all the time and he would and they would have great engaging conversations with him and yeah he wasn't afraid of that i really I, I i do believe but what it opened up was people would call up and talk to him and confide in him all kinds of strange things he would play the devil's advocate and he would do it in this really folksy sort of compelling way that made you want to sit there. I mean, you, you're rolling your eyes on one hand. I don't think it's by accident at all that Bell's show ran in those like midnight to 5 a.m. sort of time frame. You know, it's a perfect time for it. Like I, w- I wouldn't want to listen to Coast to Coast in the middle of the day. Like it just wouldn't feel the same. Well, he mentions. He mentioned, uh, I don't think it was that many years ago, that like one of the the aspects that made the show was that time frame because your mind is more it would, in the dark, sitting around. In the, if, if, if it was dark, you know, when he was airing it, you know, you're sitting yeah. around there and in the dark, your mind 
is maybe a little more susceptible to this. Uh, maybe yeah. you're tired. Maybe you're half asleep. Maybe you haven't slept for many days and <laughs> or you've not slept for many hours. And it kind of puts a mind in a very susceptible, fragile place. I think that it's true that if you're walking up to your house at night and you see a shadow there along the side of the wall and your uh, your mind starts to turn that shadow into other things that might not be your mind doesn't go to the most obvious explanation oh that's the tree branch or that's the bike that wasn't put away uh reflecting against the wall it's like maybe there's an intruder maybe it's a monster you know uh that whole thing that happens to little kids who sit in the dark and look at shapes and sounds so bell i think played off that and that's what was fascinating i most of the time i hear him i was in one of two places which was either in my bed the covers pulled up listening and 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 just my eyes closed or in the dark and just hearing that voice sort of disembodied in a sense yeah and and so it did become whatever you could imagine and whatever you could see or a really compelling thing too driving along a road late at night trying to kind of stay awake you're in and out the station and you're listening to him talk it also seeing the dark the road sort of disappear into a a fugue of darkness in front of you also was a kind of compelling way to listen to his radio show. Yeah. <laughs> I sat with a friend once on the top of a parking garage at Towson University back when we were in college and listened to him for through for about a two to three hour chunk of time and um and we were just you know just kind of getting into it listening. It just it really it, it, it sort of unifies you in this kind of crazy experience, I think. I, yeah. And I don't mean crazy in the – some of the people that called did seem like they're mentally off, but it was just a unique sort of experience. It's definitely one of those things, too, that makes me feel really, like, nostalgic when I think about uh, Coast to Coast AM. It, uh, you know, I'd listen to it all year round, but I can particularly think of times in the summer, you know, especially, like, having the windows open. It's hot outside. I'm sitting in the dark, you know, um, just staring up at the ceiling listening to his voice. Uh, one of the things, too, that is interesting is that with – with Coast to Coast, most radio shows, if, if you don't know much about radio, um, whenever they have people calling to them, they typically go through a screening process where they'll you know talk with the producer of the show. You'll have to like let them know, okay, this is what I'm going to talk about. You know, this is kind of who I am. Give them a little bit of kind of background information about what you're going to be talking about on the radio before they put you live on there. Uh, but Art didn't do that though. He he did start using a screener once I think it was like late 2000s, um, just because he had moved uh, to the Philippines at that time. Um, but for the longest period of time, he didn't have any call screening, so anybody who called in is going to get through and they can pretty much say whatever they want to say. Um, and that was one of the things that I think made that show so exciting and fun because you just never knew like where you were going to go next. They're, they're jumping into like um, parallel universes till talking about like a hole in the ground that goes directly into hell. So you never, you never kind of knew where he was going to go with this stuff. And uh, you know, not only did he have just, you know, random people calling him in the middle of the night, but he'd also interview uh, a lot of interesting people, people like um, Terrence McKenna. Uh, he had on Willie Nelson before, George Carlin, um, even people like Dan Aykroyd and Leonard Nimoy, and some physicists like uh, Michio Kaku, like a bunch of interesting different people, you know. So this is not just like uh, Crackpot Central or anything like that. You know, he took things that are legitimate, you know, 
interesting topics to think about, you know, things that are unexplained and, and really put like a fun spin on them, entertaining. And also uh, these in-depth conversations that would just, it's not like, okay, yeah, we're just going to kind of pass over this thing. No, we're going to kind of get to the root of why do you feel this way? You know, what is the information that you have on this? What can you bring to the table for this conversation? Yeah, and I think what was interesting is he did have a lot of those people. I remember specifically the George Carlin one. It was in 97, and and that was a point when I was probably listening to it nightly. Like, I would specifically try to be like, okay, I'm going to listen to this, like, every night, you know. And the one particularly with Carlin, and I'm sure, I'm sure most of this stuff, the Coast to Coast stuff must be a good bit of it. It's probably on YouTube. Yeah, it is. I would say. And his, the... One he does with Carlin's really interesting because of the nature of the two guys. You would think that they really wouldn't be that compatible. Because Bell's here and he's like, oh, I believe everything. And Carlin, you know, is known to not not just um, that he's an atheist, but he's known to really use a lot of his humor to sort of skewer uh, people that would just willfully believe whatever. Yeah. And so the comments, find seeing the two of them find common ground and find a really interesting way to have a very genial and an interesting and fun discussion. And Carlin skewers a few things. You know, there's points when you can't quite tell, and some of the callers probably don't quite get it. But you know, uh, Carlin's throwing stuff left and right, like, oh, you know, like yeah, like uh, people say we came from monkeys, but then if we evolved from monkeys. Why are there still monkeys? You know, which <laughs> which is not Carlin's actual argument, right. obviously. <laughs> Uh, but it is one that is trotted out often in creationist theory. So it's funny that, um, you know, he would he would pepper in some of that. But for the most part, it's a very even keel conversation between these two guys. And uh, Carlin really philosophizes a bit there and seems to be interested in some of the things that they're talking about. I mean, he, he has a humorous bent to it. But one of my favorite aspects of the show uh, in general is that when he would bring these people on that you would think of maybe being a little more legitimate or or, or not in the same hemisphere, you know. Because uh, Bell was good friends with Whitley Stryber, yeah. you know, who wrote uh, Communion. And it was far, who, who's all in on the, the, you know, alien kind of abduction and the alien concepts and things like that. And, uh, and we'll get, there's something else I want to say about that in a minute. But they would get into a lot of this kind of just wild out there ideas, but in any, he'd have people that didn't necessarily think the same as him. Uh, if you look at his midnight in the desert, he interviewed, um, Neil deGrasse Tyson, yeah. <laughs> which is kind of, you know, you talk about astrophysicists, like talking to someone like Tyson kind of, he, he was kind of arguing for pseudoscience, yeah. extreme, extreme pseudoscience. And, uh, but but it was some of to me some of that was so crazy that you just had to kind of go with it. You had to you know be like, okay, I I can he really take this stuff seriously? Because we are talking about people showing up on the show and claiming they were time travel, you know, that they were from the future and they did all these things and they'd seen this. But the only things they could corroborate are things that had already happened in our timeline. The things that they said were going to happen never did happen, you know. But then they didn't. They weren't able to see nine eleven or that we'd have our first black president or our first orange president. They didn't see any of that stuff. Very, very kind of uh, silly, like, oh, you're from the future. you got to tell me something a little bit better than this. You know, you need to give me some information. Had probably a YouTube <laughs> comment, <laughs> common uh, 
someone commenting on it probably, but they someone was making things. Well, you know what? If he was from the future, maybe his coming here caused those things to happen. They didn't happen in his timeline, and those other things he said was going to happen. He was able to stop them, so he was successful. <laughs> He's a hero, you know. <laughs> he saved us all. Um, so it's funny. I guess you're arguing time travel. You can go a lot of different ways, but there were a lot of time travel. There's a lot of time travel. Yeah, and it was very. It wasn't time. It was like time travel from like the year 2460 back into like Egyptian times. I mean, they went all out. They swung for the fences. Sometimes. I mean, I wish I could like. Uh, there a specific. The Joe, what was his name, Teton or something? I, yeah, I'm, I'm pressing this up. That was like the there was one specific kind of uh, time traveler character that stood out in in this in this milieu. But <laughs> these people would be on the show with the legitimate guests. They would call in while he was talking to George Carlin, yeah. while he was talking to some of these died in the wool skeptics who 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 make their living basically just combating all these weird crazy theories out there he'd have some of these people on i remember he had striber on who was asking who was talking about his wife being really sick and bell was asking for prayer for the wife and the skeptic guy he's almost like look at this jerk over here who doesn't believe he doesn't he doesn't want your wife to get better and um but the guy took it in his, it is it was a conversation back and forth. The Bell, I think, was a little uppity on the, I wish I could remember the, the guy's name, but he, he seemed to get a little agitated. This guy just kept kind of putting forth reasonable reasonable arguments against all of these things. That was kind of the interesting is that bridging the gap, letting these people who never in a million years would get a chance to talk to you know, George Collins, I got to sit there and listen to some guy who's <laughs> gonna talk about remote viewing. Yeah. Say he found a swamp monster in his backyard. And yet here we are. I think that was a kind of cool thing about Bell is he united all these kind of worlds that are very disparate that don't go together. And every show had a good-natured spirit to it. It was yeah. in the spirit of let's get together. That's what made it cool. That's what made it fun to listen to. It wasn't about somebody trying to debunk a bunch of theories. It wasn't somebody – it wasn't two people arguing so much of – talk radio is that like at one point in time it's not necessarily recently but when coast to coast was going bell was in like some of the top three with dr laura Schlesinger and then with rush limbaugh he was in the top three radio personalities would you think about that's pretty crazy i yeah. mean honestly i believe more what bell says but i mean uh <laughs> yeah <laughs> the other two but the people working in a mostly a politically loaded sort of avenue and 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 really operating off of I th- I don't want to say negativity but a lot of conflict a lot of strife uh, he did all this without that yeah but I I what do you think though um, I turn it back over to you like Seth what do you think though about the fact that even though Bell's show had a kind of good natured tone to it do you think uh, that there was a little too much embracing of a lot of the crazy conspiracy theories that he played maybe devil's advocate too much to just some really out there uh absurd stuff because we did have a lot of that the government's hiding everything (laughs) from you the truth is out like this is preemptive x files you know like it comes at like 89 x files and and they they were running concurrently you know i'd watch the x files on sunday night and they'll talk about (laughs) the same crap on the x files yeah i i don't know like i it never 
it it was never anything that bothered me that he kind of fed into it sometimes um that he kind of just gave them the platform to do it on yeah just because i i don't know like i feel like he there again there's not any really other places that somebody could go and kind of talk about these kind of things without somebody being like, oh, yeah, you're just crazy or you need to get locked up or something like that. Like, you know, this is a place where anybody could feel comfortable to pretty much talk about whatever they might have experienced, you know, and not feel like this guy is going to just dress them down the entire time. So, I, you know, I think I appreciate that more about art, you know, because – I think, you know, he would have kind of some of his skeptical sides come out from time to time. I and mean, he was not always completely feeding into some of what are probably delusions of some of the people that were calling in there. But just the fact that he would give them the space and the time, you know, it was not like, uh, oh, you have, you know, 30 seconds to tell me your story and then you're dropping the call. Like he'd stay on them, you know, on there with them. He'd ask them questions. He'd try to get to, you know, all the information of the story from these people. So, I, you know, I think that was something good that he did. Um, but it's, you know, there's, it's, it's a very interesting program itself. Um, and I think it fits a specific. It's funny that you you mentioned that he was as you know kind of popular as he was because I always felt like it was. I I'd ask people about Coast to Coast and they never heard of it. I kind of feel like it's it's made for that crowd of people who are either insomniacs, they're at a diner really late at night, or you know the, that that type of person who is going to have those kind of conversations maybe late into the evening. And you know this is this is something you know. Yes, yeah, so you imagine that all the characters in the um, in Edward Hopper's Nighthawks are listening yeah. to Art Bell on the radio in yeah. that in that diner. <laughs> And it, it's just funny because it's like this is this is stuff that I'd grown up talking about with you know some of my friends and things like that. And when I found, it, I was like, oh my gosh, this is you know this is great that there is uh, such a forum for this that people are actually listening to this. People are interested in calling in, and talking about these kind of things, um, you know. And, and and just art himself was so influential in in that regard. And uh, it really is sad, kind of like what happened to the show, the way that things got passed off after after art left um uh the the guy who took over it uh george nori again he kind of changed the show it became a lot of uh you know after a while kind of turned a little bit more into almost like conservative talk radio and kind of went more you know it was more into politics and it was into you know the supernatural and topics like that um and i know art did not like that whatsoever he was very unhappy with that complained about it on uh, social media uh in the early 2010s um but just i think he's gonna have such a legacy um you know for people who are like us who are interested in these kind of topics you know i think most of us you if if you haven't heard of art bell you know i think you're gonna if you check him out after listening to this you know you're gonna find something out there for you because again the topics were so uh there's so much variety in the topics there that uh something is gonna spark your interest uh i for me personally i'd recommend um if you're going to take a look on YouTube for it, uh, there's a really famous Area 51 call where somebody claimed to have been working there and they had kind of got away from it. And uh, he starts getting really upset on the call and eventually the satellite actually crashed. Yes, that was that was amazing. I was listening to that when it was on. Oh, awesome. When he's interviewing the guy about Area 51 and the guy is really like – the funny thing about Bell is 
like he would he'd just be like yeah that's true there would be all these competing ideas of what aliens were yeah you get someone call up and they will be describing essentially what you would think of as like the close encounter gentle aliens at one point he had some guy on there and he was saying this guy he's talked to aliens from andromeda he knows what's going on and they're here to help us and then someone call up and be like they're gonna kill us they're basically like this guy in 97 was basically just spewing everything you expect to hear in the x-files right that these aliens are out to do they're they're out to get me they're out to get all of us uh it's worse than you can imagine it, it was what the arc of the x-files looks like you know that they're yeah um, there's an alien conspiracy under the 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 hood of reality in a sense, and I'll get to some of that in a minute. Like kind of how Art Bell, because at this point now you've got a lot of you've got the X Files on television, you've got a couple other shows, and you've got Chris Carter and all these people out there, and and Bell has a few crossovers there. We could talk about it in a minute, but th- this wasn't the most compelling wasn't the most compelling argument that you that was ever made about i mean it was really unhinged and the person the person sounded more unhinged than they did sound like they're pulling a prank yeah if that makes sense they sounded legitimately worked up now not not necessarily legitimately worked up because they'd actually been abducted by aliens or whatever but they were and again i'm calling from area 51 uh area 51 uh partially because I think he's out there in Nevada too it factored into a lot of Bell's calls oh, that yeah. he got do you remember this guy was flying his plane through Area 51 <laughs> yes like on the air on the show but this this guy we're talking about here at this phone call and I noticed I did see a few of it now that you mention it I did see a few of his like write-ups obituaries uh, not obituaries but a few of his, the articles uh, talking about his life that did mention that one specifically and I think that's absolutely on YouTube that you can find it yeah. and I've, I've not listened to it in years um, but uh, you know what I would do too is I I had cassette tapes and I always try to get the longest cassette tapes I could <laughs> yeah. and tape as much of Bell's stuff I bet you I may even have that one somewhere it doesn't matter because again it's on YouTube but I bet you if I were to go to my my parents home and look through some of the boxes of crap they have down in the basement. I could probably find you the cassette tape. <laughs> you wouldn't ever get through all of it, you know, because his programs are so long. Yeah. But this one cuts off, and it doesn't come back. Yeah. Yeah, it cut, it cut out for like six or seven minutes. Like the satellite right. went down. And it's gone, and then by the time it comes back, that's it. You're off to something else, you know. Yeah. He's the, they're, they're, they've moved on to a, like a kind of different topic, and you're like, that's it. And I think, though... Nobody would remember that that person ranting. That particular rant was not like if this was set up, this isn't the rant you would choose. You know, yeah. if Bell was going to pretend that the like satellite went out, I'm assuming it was probably a happy accident. It just it really amplified that particular call. People at the time were like, "But what a coincidence that this guy calls in raving about this." And then suddenly a satellite cuts out. But it's the Art Bell show. First off, he's on the air for about five hours, right? Yeah. And in, in, in most of those five hours, he's got a crazy person ranting about something strange. So if the satellite goes out anytime during those five hours, it's a very good chance it's going out in the middle of somebody on a crazy tirade. And there's a probably 40% chance it's about aliens. I think... Um... Uh, like you said, Nathan, uh, this this is most definitely out on YouTube. It's actually in a uh, Tool song uh, from their album Lateralis. They oh. use the audio on it. Um, I forgot about that. Yeah. What I would what I would suggest because 
there there are you know they have like full shows out there on YouTube. Um, probably a good place to start if you want to check it out, and I definitely highly recommend that you do check it out. Is look for one of their Halloween episodes because every single Halloween they called it Ghost to Ghost. Yeah, Ghost that was to so Ghost. So awesome, love and, that. Yeah, so they on, on these shows they only. Like, he only asked for ghost stories. So anybody who had any kind of experience with ghosts, they would call in on that night. So it was a full show just about ghost stories. So that was always, like, one of my favorites. I always looked forward to that every Halloween. Um, so, yeah, th- I'd say that's a good place to, to start because you can kind of get a feel for the format of the show. Um, it's not kind of all over the place. It's more kind of static on one topic and then from there if you're interested in the other topics there is a ton of information out there um but yeah there's there's so many interesting there's uh something called mel's hole uh they they had a guy on there who would uh talk about this all the time there's there's a lot of many uh, callers that would call in multiple times with different experiences you know and and just have to fill art in on what happened now um but this is definitely if you're into this kind of stuff if you're interested in this this is really kind of the brainchild i think for you know even if it's um (laughs) unconscious that we did it uh i think this is like probably one of the the biggest reasons for us doing a show like this because you know we're interested in this kind of thing and there's not really a ton of things like that out there right now so i think we really want to get into that you mentioned being able to sort of like remember where you were and what was going on, you know, and tied specifically to some of what his stuff was. The let's talk about Mel's hole a little bit more in a minute, though, yeah. because some of that stuff was really strange. I don't know, but sitting there in the dark listening to it in 1992, Halloween fell on a Saturday. I specifically remember I was in, I think, eighth grade or something. I remember staying up and listening to that with my siblings, like turning on the radio and say, listen to this. And it was the ghost to ghost. And uh, 92 or 93, but I remember there was this creepy thing. There was a guy talking about, I want to say he was talking about, like, um, they were construction workers, and they were trying to build this house. And it kept running into this person that was like, you can't build here. You can't build here. You can't build in my house. And, of course, the gist of it is that this isn't is a live person. Right. They keep coming back here to do this. This person who's trying to disrupt them and get them to leave is dead and is confused as they're trying to build the house around her super creepy i don't know if the story in and of itself is that creepy but bell just told it in a very offhand like an off-the-cuff kind of manner you know like he was relating what he had for dinner last sunday or something and that made it all the creepier but sitting there kind of in the dark listening you could kind of feel you did feel like you were connected in a way yeah hearing these other people call and knowing that they're you know to know all these people were listening and calling in made you realize you weren't the only person to listen to it you know that maybe maybe you were the only person uh you're never sure but there could be a kid in a bed in a house two doors down or halfway across the country listening to it and that weird kind of united but alone sense of things that i love about like that nighttime radio mm-hmm. i think he did that that was what was so cool was like hey uh you felt connected to the weirdos yeah, i think exactly. in a sense in a <laughs> sense and it was kind of a neat it was sort of a neat feeling particularly i think if you were a kid who who kind of was off the golf kilter a little bit anyway you know <laughs> yeah um yeah and we can talk really quickly about uh the whole Mel's whole thing too, because this is one that always kind of cracked me up anytime uh, that this guy would call in. There's a guy named Mel Waters. Um, 
he claimed that he was he owned this property out in Washington where he had this uh, gigantic hole, <laughs> this mysterious hole that was on his property. Um, he, he said that he take he took like a fishing line and a weight and dropped it down in the hole and measured the farthest he could measure was eighty thousand feet. Um, and he said that there was magical properties that this hole had. And this guy was like a reoccurring caller. Like every once in a while he he would call in. I think the first call was back in like 97 or so. But he'd call in over the years. And eventually he said that um, federal agents had busted onto his land and forced him to move his, his whole family to Australia. <laughs> and so it kind of like built up this urban legend in the area of Washington. Um, nobody ever actually found the hole, but... Uh, just just listening to people like that, like, I always love, like, just these kind of kooky, strange, funny people would call in and, and, and talk about these uh, new things that I'd never heard about. I mean, I hadn't even heard of shadow people until it was to, if it hadn't been. All the shadow people. And do you remember the guy that had all this, the whole group of remote viewers mm-hmm. that could see into all these different uh, realities and dimensions and time frames and bells and there, getting all this information from them, and it just... Um, but the shadow people, I remember the shadow people. That was pretty creepy. That's pretty creepy. Yeah. Um, and I think the other thing that was weird, you'd have someone call in and he would never really be entirely certain if this person was, um, again, playing a game, playing a joke. Maybe, you know, there was also that, that other possibility that maybe they were sincere. Maybe they were one of those people that this had happened to, which always kind of freaks me out a little, too. You always... You want to be you want to be the believer until you yeah. are because then who else will believe you? Um, but then a lot of them seem like they might have had some mental issues. Like that was the thing. There was such deep sincerity that like certainly I think some of the people who called into Art Bell were a hundred percent crazy. Yeah. <laughs> and you had to wonder then like what are you feeding something here? You know. Yeah. Um, I will say I don't go too much down this this rabbit hole, but. The aspect where I where you where you have to kind of I think look at it and say maybe not all of Bell's legacy was healthy and it's not to say what Bell himself was doing but like I think we have that benefit of hindsight can draw a line from Art Bell like let's put aside I'm not saying Bell was not really particularly political no uh, he was. He, it was, and it wasn't even so much a like got to get the government he was more like they know something and we need to know it yeah was kind of had his gist like they're hiding something that we need to know it but it it wasn't sort of just anti-government for the sake of itself but you can kind of draw a line from bell to to alex jones oh, totally. i think um and i feel like guys like that and thought processes like that gain some credence because we had somebody like bell out there for so long uh and, and others like him with an open an open door to, to a lot of this, but I don't, I don't blame him. No, but I think that, um, I think that we can see that. And I think that was, that is sort, sort of important to remember that, uh, the truth does still matter. Yeah. <laughs> we can only hope. But, you know, I, I think that that is important. So I, I think we are living in a unique time where that sense of people wanting to believe is particularly being, uh, I think the thing is, Bell's program always felt harmless, you know, yeah. and the and the and the game and the theater of the mind, if you will, that he engaged in with the callers felt harmless. Uh, yeah. It felt harmless to us. Maybe it didn't to someone who who really believed, you know. But now seeing people 
basically exploit someone's desire to believe for their own sort of gain. I think that's where the dark side of this comes in. Oh yeah. I think. And uh, I, I think that that's where we could sit here and we can, we can kind of look at what he did, but there is also that element of Bell probably opened the door for, for something that became a little bit darker that he probably, I, I mean, he, he, until just last week was still around. So I'm, I I haven't listened to him in recent years, but I'm curious to see kind of what he thought about everything. Yeah. In terms of where we came and what, and where we are or were with, uh, with this desire to believe versus the truth. You know, I, I've even seen people post on social media and say things like, you know what, uh, post something that's clearly not true. And then someone comes back and says, you know, gives them the Snopes data or whatever and yeah. says, no, this is, this is fake. And then hearing someone literally write and type the words that say, you know what, I, I'm going to believe this anyway because it feels like it should be true. Yeah. And it's I cognitive think... dissonance. Cognitive dissonance is exactly what it is. Uh, but there's a part of it with the Bell thing, you know, I think it's I want this to be true. And that was the game, the game that you played in a sense. Yeah. And you... And you were playing the game with a lot of other people, and it was fun for a few hours a night when your mind was kind of wandering and and the walls of reality were down a little bit, you know. Yeah. And the, I'm starting to sound like Jack Burton, you know. <laughs> and the pillars of heaven uh, <laughs> really shook the pillars of heaven. Wow. But um, the uh, I think that whole experience it can be healthy and can be fun. But it's different depending on who you are and what you're doing. Yeah. Uh, Bell himself was involved in a couple. Like he wasn't ever on the X Files, but he was so close to being on the X Files because yeah. he was on Millennium as himself, which was Chris Carter's sister show with um, Lance Henriksen. Did you ever watch Millennium? Yeah, I did. That was a good show. Yeah, it's really it really dark though. I don't know how Bell and that was all serial killers and the devil and stuff, right? Like, <laughs> right. Um. I guess he, he kind of fits there, but he also was in the hit film "I Know Who Killed Me," that Lindsay Lohan film. Do you remember that? Oh, oh well, I do. But see, the thing that I remember him, like, yeah. So there's the, the funny, the two things that I always think about is there was a show in the the mid '90s, and it was like a couple of years after X Files. And if you look at the cover of it, like on IMDb, it's called Dark Skies. Do you remember Dark Skies? Oh yeah. I liked Dark Skies, it, but it was almost the it was almost the identical plot of the X Files. Mm -hmm. And if you look at the cover, they have a wannabe Mulder and a wannabe Scully on the like cover. Like it looks like it just looks like the most generic thing ever turned out. But it was a kind of interesting show, and he played William, this guy named William Paley, who was that it was basically Art Bell under a different name, you know? Yeah. Who was the guy who's going to reveal all the secrets and whatnot? They, you know, an actor though I love that was on the who who's passed on and passed on not long after this was J T. Walsh. Do you remember J T. Walsh? Oh, yeah, yeah, totally. He always played like a slime bag. Yeah. But a really psychologically interesting slime bag. Yeah. I remember him that weird um uh Alicia Silverstone movie, The Babysitter. Yes. Where he was just sort of like lusting after the babysitter. He was also <laughs> um Pleasantville. He's in Pleasantville. He played the lawyer in the remake of uh, Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street. That's I always right. remember him as um oh what was the character's name in um Needful Things. Uh, oh who, yeah. Um, he's like talking to Max Vincito and he's like, I killed my wife. And yeah. he's like, these things happen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, um, 
that uh, that I don't know if that was a particularly good movie, but he was good in it. So, <laughs> yeah. but he was in Dark Skies. That's an interesting show. I don't know. Did you, again, the beauty, the beautiful thing about YouTube is you can probably find all this stuff. <laughs> you sure. can probably find Art Bell there. But Art Bell has a writing credit on the day the uh, day after tomorrow. <laughs> Does he really? So he, yes, because he and I, th- I want to say Stryber wrote the story or the book that that the day after tomorrow was based off of all that superstorm nonsense that's so funny and the book had some kind of weird name like the super mega superstorm or something <laughs> something ridiculous um if you look him up one but i remember i remember that being the case i'm like this is very bizarre because um it, you know the day after tomorrow not the most scientifically rigorous movie you're you're ever gonna see you know what yeah, i mean exactly <laughs> so oh. um see he's a miscellaneous crew credit he's a source material the book was the coming global superstorm oh that's a good name <laughs> yeah better a better title than the day after tomorrow yeah. i absolutely would have put some money down to watch the coming global superstorm <laughs> which is actually see he was a little ahead of the curve because that's what it would have been called with yeah. the sci-fi channel so um yeah, not much more. I mean, on one hand, there's a lot more I could say. On yeah. another hand, it's like it would all be sort of going down the same <laughs> circuitous old. <laughs> um, but I, ju- I did feel like more than most things I could think of, more than a lot of the books uh, and even some of the filmmakers out there, when it comes to this particular topic, that that weird twilight world of alien abductions and cryptozoology and all of those things he created a, sp- a headspace for it that i don't think i ever encountered anywhere else it yeah. never seemed more real than you were listening to him talk about it yeah um are you familiar with a um a singer dar williams it sounds familiar yeah dar williams has a song i'll put a, a link to it or it's called are you out there and the song is actually really about the experience of like sitting out in the night in your car listening to radio DJs. Yeah. And she references like, a lot of the, the singers, songwriters, and, uh, you know, uh, Jimmy Olsen and Johnny Memphis and all this kind of stuff. But the the gist of the song itself uh, and, and the lyrics and everything, they really sort of capture that feeling of what it is like when you feel like you connect with a voice. Yeah. Or you connect with a sort of kindred spirit out on the radio wave somewhere. And uh, that's – when I heard this – when I heard this song – it's probably around the 96, 97 time frame. I always kind of thought of Bell, like for yeah. more than any other radio DJ, any kind of musician. Uh, this was that guy for me, and That's it's awesome. sad. It's sad that he's gone. It is, yeah. I, mean, I was shocked when I heard it, and I, it was nice to see that there was a lot of other people, you know, starting to comment on it when when he did pass away. You know, nice to see that he is at least remembered for for what he did because I think it, what he did was important. You know, even if you don't, if you're not interested in it, like I think it's 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 it was it was great to have a place where you know you could have that forum and i think you know it did open a lot of doors for you know people like us who are interested in this kind of thing and maybe made you feel like okay maybe i'm not crazy for you know finding this stuff interesting and and enjoying talking about these kind of things and again i think the thing i emphasize is the thing that i think made him unique that made him great was the kind of conversational and like he was your buddy like it was about positivity with him and i just think that 
there's not enough of that, you know, having a kind of positive, I'm here to listen kind of spirit to our entertainment. Yeah. That's largely gone from, I mean, from, from the conspiracy angle of things, that, that element's largely gone. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, Art, we will see you in the stars someday. Right. On Alpha Centauri or Andromeda <laughs> or maybe maybe um maybe we get some of these time travelers to hook up some kind of deal. <laughs> yeah. Maybe they already popped art out of the timeline. <laughs> and uh That's why I'd things like. have been so bad. We've been pushed to a different dimension. Yes, exactly. I can't I don't like see it's one of those funny things when someone's gone, you sit there and think, you know, you can mourn their death or you can think, Hey, I'm glad I lived in a world where that guy was alive. Yeah. Yeah, and I that's, definitely feel that way. Yeah, yeah. All right. Thanks, Seth. Thanks, Nathan. And up next, we'll talk, uh, we will talk The Endless. So take care, everyone. We're flying now for about 45, 49 minutes here between Beatty, is that what you call it, and Engine Spring. And I figure I'll just uh, go on up here and uh, try to get into this Area 51. I'm right south of this Nevada test site, or Dallas Air Force Base. Listen. I'm right outside this restricted zone. Listen to me. When you fly, when you fly into that zone, yeah. they are going to either force you down or shoot you down. Don't you know that? Got a lot of desert up here, don't you, boy? A lot of desert, yes. A lot of desert. Now you're liable to get yourself killed. I'm sorry, sir. You have to speak so loud. I cranked this engine all the way up here. I, I said. I said you're liable to get yourself killed. I'm sorry, the, the government knows about them, and th there's a lot of safe areas in this world that they could begin moving the population to now, Art. But they're not doing, they're not doing anything. They are not. They want the major population centers wiped out so that the, the few that are left will be more easily controllable. Discharge. Uh, so when I started listening to you, I would just be so into listening to what's going on, I would find myself standing outside the window of that radio shack looking at your house. Oh. And then one time I got in over in the corner. I think you got a monitor mounted up there now or something. Kind of creepy. Looking down at you. Hmm. And it was just so cool. And so <laughs> one time I went over to... Uh, a two-day thing in Las Vegas where Ed Dames was teaching this stuff. Yes. And I thought, I'm going to get really good at this. And I didn't like the way he taught it, so I left after the first day. But I thought, you know what? I'm going to take and come home because I live over by Sacramento. I'll come back through Death Valley, and I'll detour to, through Pahrump and see if I can't drive straight to where you live. By golly, I did. Mm -hmm. And I got to see your big antennas and oh, all yes. that stuff. Yes, yes. And oh, 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 those antennas. You said you had about 440 or something like that volts on them? Um, three, almost 400 volts, yes. Well, is there any appreciable amperage there? Not a lot, uh, but there's enough. Uh, it could be, um, I've, I've got to go, sir.
Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Casting the Bones. Something that I wanted to talk about tonight is a brand new film that's coming out. And we're not going to probably spend a lot of time on the show typically reviewing films. But in this particular case, it's the kind of movie that uh, once you see it, you kind of want to talk about it. Yeah. The second element of that is it's very hard to talk about <laughs> without going into details but we're going to provide you a spoiler free review this is going to be the endless by justin benson and aaron moorhead this is actually their third film and we've we've had an opportunity to see both of their previous films we uh we actually had them on a earlier iteration of the podcast many years ago in 2012 when they're talking about their film resolution they've also done a movie called spring and now they've done the endless which is a very strange and original and uh, entertaining film. So want to talk about that. And again, this is going to be spoiler-free. We're going to kind of put it in the context of where we kind of feel it sits in regards to the genre. It's a film that does deal with cults, and it's a film that also deals with elements of that. I'm going to name-drop Lovecraft. The movie itself name-drops Lovecraft. That's not because this is a film full of tentacles and creatures, but I think it fits within the realm of what we would consider existential horror. Yeah. That being said, Seth, do you want to kind of set up uh, The Endless in a, in a general sort of way? <laughs> yeah, and you hit the nail on the head. This is going to be a hard film for us to really talk around. Uh, again, like Nathan said, we're not going to talk about any spoilers here. But there is a lot of stuff in this movie that we don't even want to mention because it would get too much away. Um, this movie kind of starts off with a, a basic plot of uh, two brothers who used to be in a cult when they were younger. They kind of grew up that way. And uh, the younger brother, Aaron, is he's kind of having a crisis of faith. He kind of wants to go back. They kind of receive a, a strange message from one of the members of the cult talking about something called the Ascension. And he wants to go back and visit with them and just at least see them one more time. So, you know, Justin finally gives in and decides to let them both go back. You know, they, they're driving out miles and miles out into like this almost desert region and, and finally get to uh, this place that they kind of grew up at. And then the story from that point uh, starts proper as they kind of meet back with some of the cult members. So Nathan, uh, just asking you, what are your kind of, because uh, we'll talk a little bit more around the plot of this film, um, but what were your expectations kind of going into this movie, being a fan of both Resolution and Spring? Well, it's interesting because it's back up. So when I saw it most recently for our review here, uh, it was as a result of, of getting a screener to watch it in preparation of this opening release. But this was actually the second time I saw the film. I saw it back in actually uh, October around the time of the spooky. They do a spooky movie festival down in D.C. at the AFI uh, Silver Theater down there. And it's pretty cool because it's about two or three days of indie foreign new horror films that they procure and show at this festival and it's it's usually there's always usually something really good there a few years back i saw uh the babadook and a girl walks home alone at night there for the oh, first nice. time uh back to back actually it was kind of a neat kind of double feature there and i saw their first movie resolution in 2012 at this this uh event and it's always interesting when you see a movie in the context of like a film festival uh, and I don't right. know how many you've, you've been to, Seth, but the thing with film festivals is if you go to see one movie, it's, you know, it, it's just the same as seeing a movie anywhere else. But a lot of times with film festivals, if you're there for the whole day and you're in taking films, you, you know, it gets to be kind of exhausting. And once you've seen one, two, three movies, 
and you get to an, uh, your third or fourth movie is not really, you're not doing it any favors most of right. the time, particularly if it's at the end of a long day of viewing. So in most of these cases, I'm seeing these films after I've seen two or three other movies. And having expectations when I went to resolution, I had none whatsoever. I, the movie looked in extremely low budget, and I was really blown away by mm-hmm. it. Uh, because the movie does a lot with very little. I think that uh, something I, I could say is Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead, they are really good about diving into and examining characters in the same way that a author will do in a book. Right. I think one of the hardest things to do in a film is develop a character in such a way that you feel you're learning things about them without the movie constantly telling you about them or a character repeating a kind of shtick. Right. Uh, it's the, the way Stephen King will get across details about a character to you. They seem to have this, they, they make character driven, very sparse horror films. I say sparse in the sense that the supernatural elements kind of hover on the edges. Yeah. And that was true of Resolution. That was true of Spring. Resolution is a very hard movie to describe, it too. Is. And in fact, I think it's okay to say because part of my expectations for The Endless were there was a direct reference. They said before the movie came out that, hey, this is going to dovetail with resolution, yeah. like uh, thematically and in the actual plot. This will kind of intersect some with resolution, and I thought that that was a fascinating thing. And because I love that movie, uh, and we got the opportunity to interview them. And the other thing about Justin and, and Aaron, and I think this is fair to say up front, so that we're putting all our cards on the table. You know, we we have interviewed them in the past. I interviewed them. We interviewed them together for Resolution. I interviewed them for Spring. They are really fun guys to talk yeah. to. They they are very down to earth. They uh, but it, they have a lot of passion for this genre that isn't just based off of hey I love this thing let's make a thing just like yeah. it, which I think is what sets them apart for me is that they take their love of previous horror films and of of, of horror stories and of horror in general, and they make a brand new thing out of it. It doesn't feel like you're watching a bunch of references. Exactly. I think that's like one of the best comments I can pay them. And their new film, which even opens with a direct quote from H.P. Lovecraft, doesn't feel like any Lovecraft story I can think of. No. Uh, not directly. It doesn't feel like any real horror movie I can think of. Spring was much more straightforward, but it was also very weird, very strange. And it was kind of a romance movie. It was kind yeah. of a love story. I was, it was kind of, it was a love story. And it was very well done. It had great acting. And, but again... It, it kind of balanced things. I still feel confident calling both of those movies horror films. Yeah. So walking into The Endless, I wanted to see a strange movie. I want to see these guys kind of stretch their legs a little bit. It's strange they've been made. They This is only their third movie. They're really meticulous when they make these films. Mm-hmm. But I was I kind of felt like they would have been snapped up by now, if you know what yeah. I mean. Like I don't necessarily want that to happen. I like no. watching them make these little, small, personal movies. But, I mean, these guys have some legitimate talent. And the only other thing I saw them do was a small segment on like one of the VHS movies. When I walked into it, the things I wanted to see was see where they were going to grow as filmmakers. Do they have a bigger budget? Because Spring was like, it felt like it was a big leap forward. There there were special effects in that film. There were some great cinematography, uh, location shoots and stuff like that. And it, it was just beautiful to look at. And so... Seeing now the moving to this film and like it when you jump back to something you already did in a sense, I feel like you have to you're really you're either spinning your wheels or you know where you want to go with the story and you're passionate about it. Yeah. And I walked in hoping for that. The other thing is this is a cult movie, which we kinda of touched on just briefly, is and it deals with characters going into a cult setting. Now the 
the thing is, I love this kind of stuff. Me I don't, too. I don't, I don't love cults, but I'm fascinated by the dynamic that exists within a within a cult, and particularly when a filmmaker wants to explore that because they really want to get into. It's not the cult that's interesting, but it's that that way of formulated thinking that's designed to make everyone sort of lockstep. That is yeah. designed to take a mind and curve it in a specific direction and do so through a sort of uh, often uh, dishonest means, you know, that, that, that we try to show that we're building community, that we care about you. We want to make you a wholly rounded individual. But in fact, what we really want to do is put everybody in the same path. Right. And there are a lot, unfortunately, there's tons and tons of cult movies out there yeah. these days. And there's been, there's some that just don't really work. There was a movie last year uh, that was kind of cultish called The Circle with Emma Emma Watson and, was it uh, Emma Watson? Emma Watson. It was Emma Watson and Tom like Hanks. Tom, uh, yeah. Tom Hanks. Emma Watson was another one too called The like Colonia or something. I think. Oh yeah, I didn't see it. It also though. wasn't wasn't really terrific. Uh, the ones I tend to, I really there's one that I think very few people have seen, and it's called um, The Sound of My Voice. That's great uh, with Britt Marling. Yeah, that's an excellent movie. And one of the cool things about that is the elements of the cult that we see cults in movies like. Uh, Mary, Marsa May, Marlene, and things like that, where you, which are good, it's a good film, but the cult is kind of what you expect. It has a male sort of hierarchy to it. It's used to subjugate women. There's a sexual element where the leader of this cult, you know, all of them seem to kind of be based off of either the David Koresh Waco sort of thing, or, right. uh, of course, like the Heaven's Gate, you know. Uh, or Jim Jones or something. Jim Jones sort of deal, right. And they always kind of go around that sort of element. A lot of times you see a cult film. So when they break out of that mold and show you a different, something a little different, that's what I enjoy. And Sound of My Voice, the cult members were allowed to freely come and go as they want. It was a cult that was sell, sold as positivity, you know, as mm-hmm. almost like self-help thinking. And yet the head of this cult retained a, a, a large amount of power over them because these these practitioners didn't feel like they were in a cult. They felt that they retained their free thinking when I'm not sure that that was the case. Uh, Sound of my voice stopped a little short of fully developing that, but I kind of feel that's where the endless is heading. Yeah. Like the cult in the endless feels much more like a commune. Yeah, exactly. Uh, And you're wondering all the time, the characters, they came out of this and it seems to have been a traumatic experience for them, particularly Justin. And he talks about, he, he has them labeled. He's the one who uses the word cult, uh, UFO death cult specifically. And he has a very specific view of of them, and when we meet them, we have a slightly different view. It's a, it's kind of interesting that you meet. And of course, the thing you're always on guard with is anytime you meet a cult in a film, it always starts out with these guys don't seem so bad. Right? Yeah, exactly. Maybe they've been misjudged. You know, that's kind of always. It's the way it always is. And uh, so, in that regard, there's some. There's some dovetailing with uh, Ty West's Sacrament, the movie The Sacrament, which yeah. I think was also a pretty interesting cult movie. Uh, it, it kind of came crashed back down just as it was get, taking off, I felt like, in that particular film. But the there's an act, the actor who plays the head of the cult in The Sacrament was giving a really interesting kind of performance. Yeah, he did. Uh, and I think he was um, of hypnotic. It was a point where there's a very charismatic leader. And I think that's another thing you see. The Most of the cult films I can think of have this one very central, focused, charismatic leader who eventually you realize that kind of what makes them sinister is the way they're captivating to begin with and then they become sort of domineering and controlling. Right. And I think that's true. Even the sound of my voice, the Britt Marling character, becomes this kind of character where you're unclear exactly what it is she's trying to achieve. And 
the interesting thing right off the bat, and I think I can say this with the Endless, is when we meet the cult, the quote-unquote cult leader kind of is a guy who recedes into the background. He doesn't seem to be very interested in being a figurehead. Right. Well, he just says, he even says in the film when they, you know, say he's the leader, he's like, I'm just the one who talks the most. So he doesn't even position himself as the leader of the cult. Which is something a crazy cult leader would say. (laughs) But, I mean, it seems to be backed up that he indeed doesn't really, uh, he doesn't match the profile. I feel like I can confidently say this is my favorite movie they've done so far. Yeah, definitely. And I think they show that they really are on this trajectory where these guys care about telling stories. That when they're done, whenever that ends up being, they're going to leave behind a body of work that is very compelling very interesting and it's interesting in asking which is kind of like you know where we're coming from with this podcast it's interested in asking questions that we you can reflect back on the viewer it wants to explore the mystery of the world but it's more interested in why we as humans do things that are sometimes just perplexing and we don't understand our own nature and i feel like that's at the central heart of everything they've done so far. It was it, it's an element of a lot of of old horror authors work and I feel like they're they're threading it into theirs in a very compelling way. This is like one of the best genre movies I've seen come out in the past couple of years. Like there's a very few select movies that get into that list, especially as somebody who's such a horror fan who's watched so many horror movies, you kind of get to that point where you're you're tired of it if it's it's not doing something interesting at least. And, and that's what I love so much about these guys and what they're doing so far with their career is that they're taking these risks or making things that you just don't see. They, they have all these really interesting and cool concepts and ideas of what they want to do with their films. And there's a portion um, like probably about like three quarters of the way through this movie where I was just like they have known this from before they even made their first movie. And because you can tell there's such a mapped out world here. This is something that they must have been thinking of. You know, once we have a bigger budget, this is something that we can do. Like I, like you said, I kind of – there's part of me that doesn't want them to get huge to the point where they're making like The Conjuring 7. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, like what they're doing in the genre I think is some of the most interesting stuff that any of filmmakers in working in horror right now are doing. And, and I really want them to just continue on this path of making movies like this. And that being said, I do think this one has the potential to, and which is interesting because it's kind of a, 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 a cult item. It is going back to a film that already exists, but I think it has the opportunity to really maybe break them out, hopefully, yeah. in terms of establishing them as a as filmmakers in this genre. I mean, I think they could do whatever genre they want, honestly. Yeah. They don't need to stay in this genre. But, I mean, it's it's clear that they have a strong uh, sense of how to make this kind of a movie and not make it feel like everything that's come before. And I think that's such a rare talent that it wouldn't be the end of the world if they continued to make horror movies or movies in this kind of vein. I mean, these are maybe more in the ter- in the kind of context or the parlance of what you might call like you know weird films you know right. uh in the sense that uh weird in the weird wonder tales kind of uh terminology not like you're so weird but <laughs> films that really have an kind of almost existential and humanistic quality to them where they're looking at 
the strangeness kind of within and without, like uh, questions that we have about ourselves where the world just doesn't seem exactly right. You know, things aren't don't exist in an ordered way. So these the the problems and the the kind of struggles that the characters have are being manifested outwardly in the real world, sometimes in supernatural ways. A lot of horror films are based around an inherent morality, whether they know it or not, in a sense where people who do the right thing are ultimately right. Uh, rewarded and people who do the wrong thing are ultimately punished. And in these stories, not unlike H.P. Lovecraft, just uh, un unwitting ignorance of the way this dark universe works sort of becomes their undoing. There's no way that these characters can know always what they're walking into. So goodness doesn't necessarily overcome evil. Uh, and, it, and evil may not even be in the equation. It might simply be yeah. that these characters just don't know what they're walking into. So a lot of their choices and a lot of their decisions are occurring against a backdrop of a sort of world that doesn't really quite care whether you're good or bad. They do create characters who are well-meaning, who aren't just uh, fish in a barrel, and they're also not, like, unlikable people. Yeah. Uh, Resolution has a guy who really wants to help a good friend of his get off drugs. Like, that's the basic gist of how that story starts. Yeah. Uh, and it's about... It's about the bonds of friendship. And Spring is about a guy who is trying to find himself and, and wanders off into the world and and finds love. And it's a sweet, endearing uh, relationship that develops there. It's not one that feels shallow or contrived. And it's about two people trying to do what's best for the other person. I mean, you don't right. see that kind of stuff in most films, period, let alone horror films. And then this movie is about two brothers who constantly butt heads but are trying to do right by each other. So even while, while morality doesn't necessarily determine whether you end, end up in a good place or a bad place in, his, in their films, there is a sense of people struggling to do the right thing, which I think, but it comes to the forefront afterwards, which I think sets them apart a little bit. It is refreshing to see that, I think. Yeah, it definitely is. And, and this is a movie that left me thinking about it for quite a few days after I saw it. Um, it's definitely something that I'm going to, go back to again uh like i say just for you know the main part of my review of this film is th again it comes back to that there's so many ideas that are being explored in this um there are you know twists in this movie that i didn't see coming whatsoever and when they got there like i was so delighted by uh, you can you can see there are some strange things going on just by watching the trailer for the film but it only gives you just basic clues as to what really is happening in this movie. And it just felt so, like you said, refreshing. It, it, this is a fresh take on like a cult story, what seems like a cult story at the top of it. Um, and it's going into all these different places that I didn't expect it to go. Uh, some of the connections that it makes, you know, it was just kind of blew me away. Uh, this is just, I, I want to see more films like this. I, you know, as much as I can enjoy a good like slasher movie, I, I want to see something that's got something more to say. That's playing with ideas like this in a different way, taking my expectations and completely subverting them for something different. Um, and like you said, this is definitely. I think this is definitely genre. This isn't going to be scary in the way of. You know, oh, there's somebody jumping out of the darkness or something like that. That's not – this is total existential horror, you know, and, and fitting in line with that whole Lovecraftian theme, that whole type of horror without, like you said, Nathan, the tentacles. No, which is really impressive because I think when – if as we go through this 
podcast, we're going to talk about Lovecraft, I'm sure, a ton. And we did an episode when we did Phantom Galaxy about Lovecraft and kind of scraping the surface of that. But the, the kind of tragedy, I think, it's not tragedy, but the unfortunate element of of the popularity of Lovecraft in popular culture right at this moment is it's mostly based on Cthulhu and the mythos right. and all of that, but but not even not even the true heart of the Cthulhu mythos, but rather the monsters, you know, that yeah. he's associated with technically things and monsters leaping out of the dark and giant gods and stuff like that, which is all fine, but it doesn't really get into the very innate terror that comes with Lovecraft, which is the idea that once you see what's underneath the real world, it doesn't have your best intentions at all. <laughs> right. And that is a component of the endless. The endless so if you are someone who enjoys movies that that make you think about things in ways you didn't expect to think about them, they show you strange things that you're not expecting. Uh, people might be tempted to want to call this movie kind of Lynchian or David Lynch style. They, while it does have elements of that, Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead so far, they have made movies that play with the same weird ideas you'd find in a Lynch movie, in a movie like Lost Highway, or in a movie like Mulholland Drive, but they play with them in the context of a pretty straightforward matter-of-fact story. Again, when I say that this could be the plot of like a, a, a of your kind of um, our drama, TV drama, I don't, I, I mean that in the best possible way, but it's a, it's an easy story you can wrap your head around on one end, and then they bring in these strange, bizarre elements that just slowly start to kind of creep up, almost not unlike vines crawling up over an old house or something. It just slowly kind of creeps along and, and, and insinuates itself into the fabric of the film, and then by the time you realize you're watching a quote-unquote weird movie, you're pretty much well into it, and you have the char- you're invested in the characters. This movie, it's something we haven't mentioned yet. Aaron and Justin, you've probably figured it out already, are do play the two brothers yeah. in the film, so they're kind of front and center of their own movie. This usually is a horrible idea uh, in terms of like <laughs> of directors placing themselves in a movie as the primary actors. The friendship these guys share which came through kind of when you're talking to them and you can see it in this film big time. Uh, they, they're playing brothers and they have a great chemistry together. They do. They really do. It doesn't feel forced. It doesn't feel, uh, strange or out of place. They really sell the movie based on that. The weirdness is a little less weird for having them sort of at the center of it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and, and, you know, that, like you said, that, that's a very big risk to put yourself in your own movie and play characters named after yourself. That's um, true. Yeah, yeah. But but they they definitely surprised me with this. And, and another thing I want to point out too is not just the themes of the movie, but also just the way this movie looks. I think this movie looks amazing, especially with the budget that they had for it. Um, the special effects look great. Um, I just love the the color tone that they picked for this film. Uh, some of the stylistic choices that they made. Uh, you'll you'll see if you watch the trailer. There's a scene where they kind of like have a rope leading up towards the moon, and that whole scene is just it looks it looks so cool. Um, so you know I got to give them so much credit for kind of what they did with the budget that they had. It it does it looks leaps and bounds from what resolution looked like. Um, and and just what they're choosing to do with the way that they're framing these scenes out and laying things down, it's it's so interesting. And they're really they have you can tell that there's a lot of love that goes into the movies that they're making. It's not just like I'm gonna just shoot something out there and try to make a quick book. There's nothing about that. This is like true artistic merit in the stuff that they're making right now. 
I'd like to talk a little bit more about that one scene because I think like I think we could talk about it without really spoiling much. This scene, uh, it's you mentioned the rope, and it's capturing a sort of thought exercise, for lack of a better term. At least that seems to be the way they're selling it. That the cult partakes in in the evening it's sort of a i guess you'd almost like a icebreaker kind of you know relationship building sort of thing to that the i'm you're when you're first looking at it you're like what is this exactly what's the point of this where there is this rope and the idea is that you are it's the struggle they call it the struggle yeah and you grab a hold of the rope and you're basically pulling on it and the idea i guess is sort of you're struggling with yourself with your own doubts with all the things that have kind of piled against you but the bizarre the bizarre part is that the rope basically pulls itself up skyward sort of it looks like almost like it's headed towards the moon in a sense you know yeah it, it now makes this sort of uh and this line that kind of reaches up towards the sky and something in the woods seems to be pulling it the way that scene is handled it's very interesting for a lot of reasons because you're getting an idea of how the cult mentality works in this particular cult you're seeing uh, Justin and Aaron and their different approaches to it. They're coming back to it, and you see that they both have very different feelings about their time in the cult. Yeah. Uh, because Aaron has almost that feeling of, like, uh, hey, I want to go back, you know? Yeah. Kind of like the Israelites have left Egypt, but you're like, you know what? I'm in the wilderness. Forget this crap. <laughs> <laughs> the Egyptians were feeding me. And uh, and it's not unlike that in some ways. You know, you watch him kind of, like, he kind of wants to reinsert himself. He was also younger, you know? They kind of make a point that justin was a little older so he might have had a better handle on what was happening yeah and that maybe aaron wasn't always aware of what was going on and that all the things justin does are are to protect him but they play with this a lot and this scene kind of becomes a crux because you you have that weird element of there seems to be something in the woods that is physically that they are physically sort of grappling with and yeah. when you think back to resolution you understand that hey Maybe there is some element where there there are some unseen forces here, and the movie, the way the movie handles the unseen forces, like you said, uh, visually is very interesting. Uh, even you know the movie is sort of about cults, but it also it, it also is about the way some people process and deal with their own faith and mm-hmm. with organized religion. I don't want to say it's heavy handed in that way, but I think that it's just as relevant to that sort of discussion. Yeah. Uh, characters struggling with concepts of, well, if there is a creator, what's the nature of that creator? And the nature of that creator, what's my responsibility to it or to my own life? You know, how do I interact with it? Just after seeing this, like, I, I mean, again, I, I so highly recommend this. I think this is going to be one of my favorite films of the year. Um, this is definitely my favorite of their movies, which I've loved both of the previous ones. Uh, this is definitely one of those ones where I think going into it with as little understanding of what it's about is probably going to be the best way to see it. Uh, maybe watch the trailer just to kind of give you an expectation because they're going to play with that expectation, uh, you know, pretty early into the movie. Um, I, I think if you – to get the biggest enjoyment out of this movie – Probably you want to see Resolution first, but I think you can still follow along with this film and get a lot out of it. I think if you haven't seen it first, but I, you know, if if you really want to get more out of it, I, you know, either watch Resolution beforehand or watch it afterwards. But definitely be on the lookout for these guys. Um, maybe we'll come back at some point and kind of have a little bit more of a spoiler discussion where we could get into some of the stuff that we don't want to even allude to in this review. But you know, for me, this is. Definitely uh, check it out as soon as you can see it in the theater. I think it would be definitely the way to see this movie. 
yeah, I mean, so far that we've had some pretty strong, a couple of strong movies already this year. But I, I had seen it last year. I put it on my end of the year horror movie list. We did one for Phantom Galaxy, and it it was number two. Um, it was after a movie called Thelma, which I also highly recommend. But this, uh, it is, it's a really strong piece of work. I, at one level, I don't want to overblow it too much. It definitely, it still is at an indie film mm-hmm. in a lot of senses. You still are a movie that's clearly, you know, it's working hard with the resources it has, but this isn't the same thing as a big budget film. And it isn't a jump out, like you said, jump out and grab you horror film. It 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 lives at the crossroads of a lot of different genres, really. You know, there's like some dark fantasy, there's some science fiction, uh, there's some relational drama. There's a lot of things going on, which I think actually make it stronger yeah. than if it were just a quote-unquote horror film right but um i agree i i highly recommend it it does come out i think it's coming out in um limited release but if you go online you can find out where it's playing right now and there's i mean it's gonna be playing a theater near us uh, here in baltimore and in dc so probably the most of the cities there'll be a place where it's playing i don't know if it's gonna be up your way in pa uh seth maybe maybe in philly or something but yeah What's strange to me is I don't think Netflix has picked up any of their stuff so far. Maybe I Resolution was, for a while. I was just thinking that. I was like, Netflix would be the perfect venue for these guys. I'd love to see them. Um, I, I would like to see Netflix give them, and maybe this is already in the works, I don't know, give them some money and let them make a small show or something. Yeah. I mean, that's what they did with um, the the guy who did Sound of My Voice they he and Britt Marling they they got the resources to go out and make um, the OA the OA yeah which I really enjoyed Me I too. liked and I think if you like something like the OA this is borderline that kind of a, of experience yeah and I think they would be awesomely suited for that sort of format that may not be something they're interested in doing but I think that they see again it's that thing that they have. Their movies show a strength of character. I could watch another hour of The Endless. Oh, me too. And my wife said the same thing. She's like, I could watch another hour of this. With any of these characters, I would have been happy to follow that cult. I would have been happy to follow, you know, uh, in Resolution, there's a guy in a trailer. I, you know, those characters are compelling enough that you it, you could follow any of them a little bit longer and you wouldn't feel that you were losing or missing out. So it's it's called The Endless, Just, uh, Justin Benson, Aaron Moorhead. You can look up their other films. I think if you have a subscription to Shudder, you can see Spring. I don't know if Resolution's on there. Uh, Resolution used to be on either Amazon Prime or Netflix. I think you can rent it for like a couple bucks. Whatever it is to rent it, it's worth it. I agree with Seth. If you have, a, if you have designs on seeing The Endless, watch Resolution first, if you can. Because Resolution won't spoil a single thing for the endless but you'll have a context and the, there are some fun surprises in the endless that will you're you, will have maximum satisfaction if you've seen resolution first yeah definitely versus the other way around i mean there'll be things that you'll be like they will click for you it's not that you'll be left in the dark but they will just uh, they'll give you an extra level of enjoyment totally based on the way that they they handle it so great, Seth. Thanks. Check out the Endless. It's probably one of the best things you're you'll see in a theater this April or maybe this yes. year. So, take care.